Session six, keeping the Sabbath and honoring parents. Now, at first glance, there appears to be no immediate connection evident between these, these two commandments, except that they just follow each other in the order that the, that the uh, book of Exodus and book of Deuteronomy give us. However, I want to have a few suggestions about that. You might say that in one way, both of these commandments, uh, keeping Sabbath and honoring parents, have to do with time. The first has to, in the sense of setting apart a certain day as a time of rest, and the other dealing with time in the sense of intergenerational relationships. They both have an aspect of time. Or another thing that I thought of this morning as my son woke up at 4 a.m. was, um, as, I, as a parent, the commandment I hope my son most keeps at certain moments is the, the fifth commandment, and yet because of being a parent, one of the hardest commandments for me to keep is the fourth commandment. That is keeping Sabbath. I know for me and my wife, Jamie, uh, Sunday mornings are often the hardest time of the week, precisely because we have a toddler. So maybe there's some connection there. Uh, but I want to take a closer look at both of these, not because I think they have to be necessarily connected, but again, because I think these are both somewhat familiar. If you were listening to Ten Commandments, I bet you would name the parent one and the Sabbath one, and yet there's still parts of them that are misunderstood. And I'll be a little bit more brief on these, uh, but I hope to get through uh, at least the first one and I think uh, part of the second. The fourth commandment um, about Sabbath. It's actually the longest commandment by far. If you count the number of words in the fourth commandment, it constitutes one-third of the entire Decalogue. So it gets a disproportionate amount of emphasis, at least in terms of explanation, in the Decalogue itself. Um, and, and I want to begin, actually, by reading the first part of the commandment and noting three important things about it. So here it is. Oops, let me go back. Uh, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. You're gonna, I'm going to say why I use different colors here. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son, or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident in your now, the versions in Exodus and Deuteronomy are not exactly the same. Uh, this is the Exodus version. The Deuteronomy version has a different word for remember. It says keep. Now, in Hebrew, remember and keep are virtually synonyms, so there's no big theological difference, but there are some small differences. Uh, but I want to point out a couple things here. Um, and first, by the way, um, when is the Sabbath? I just want to make sure we're clear on the particulars. <laughs> when is the Sabbath? And what's the seventh day? Saturday, right? The, the Sabbath, in, in, strictly speaking, is Saturday. That actually was the practice of the early church, was to continue uh, using Saturday as the, the day of worship. It was only later, and of course because of uh, the stories of the resurrection, that it gets, the Sabbath is transferred in Christian tradition from a Saturday to a Sunday. But originally it would have been a Saturday. Okay. First observation. And this has to do with the two colors. There's actually two commandments in here. And those two commandments, in all likelihood, were at one point in history completely separate from one another. Here are the two commandments. Commandment one, or maybe 4A and 4B, if you will. Uh, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. That's one commandment. It's a positive commandment. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. To keep something holy or to consecrate it, 
means to set it aside for a purpose. To, to make something holy is to set it aside for a purpose. What is that purpose? Well, it's the worship of God. So the original commandment then, a positive commandment, is set aside a day specifically for the purpose of worship. That's 4A. 4B is related but distinct. 4B says, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall uh, not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, etc., etc., etc. The second commandment, 4B, is a negative prohibition. It is about not doing something, but abstaining from something. So the second part of the commandment um, has to do with not working, whereas the first part of the commandment has to do with doing the work of worship. Two very different things that at some point, logically speaking, were connected. That is, the day of worship became the day of rest, and the day of rest became the day of worship. But we think that at one point in history, these were separate issues. There was the command to worship the God on one particular day, and there was also a command about abstaining from work, having some balance between work and rest, a rhythm or a routine um, that puts a limit on how much one does, um, uh, how much work one does. Now, I think this is an important point for us Christians. There's more to say about both of those things, but in an effort to be a little more concise, I want to say that uh, I think this is an important point for Christians, because I think in Christian theology, we think the Sabbath means rest, do not do work. Now, there's a question of whether we ever obey that commandment to rest and not do work. I'll come back to that. But I think we think that the day is about abstaining. It's a negative commandment. Don't do something. We actually don't read the yellow part in Christian theology. And here's where this comes out, because we think it's a day of rest, and if it is a day of rest, we might have reservations about going to church. Now, of course, no one in this august group would ever consider such a thing, knowing that your church attendances, of course, are perfect like my own. But it happens in other churches and in other places that because we think of Sunday as a day of rest and because, quite honestly, going to church sometimes involves a little work, let alone going to Sunday school or sitting in traffic or getting your kid out the door in time to make it to church for nursery. That can feel like work. And if Sunday is to be a day of rest, and if church feels like work, then maybe they don't go together. Now, I think the problem with that, and I, I want to preserve the idea of Sunday as a day of rest, but the problem with that is that we forget the first positive commandment, the setting aside of a day for worship. The commandment, the first part, the yellow part that you see up there, is a command for us to do the work of worship. And I think it's the only way we can talk about worship and actually thrive as a community. If we just think about worship as rest, then either we're not going to go or we're going to show up here and be passive. And that's not the intent of the command. It's to do the work of worship. So the first step and the first observation is that there's two commandments here. I think by and large Christians ignore the first and we need to recover that as part of our theology. Now the second point um, is actually that the reason for keeping this commandment is different in Exodus and Deuteronomy. This is the place in the Decalogue where Exodus and Deuteronomy, the two versions, differ the most. In fact, it's not just a word or two. 
They're completely different reasons for why one should keep the, uh, the Sabbath commandment. Listen to Exodus 20.11. Here's the reason why. So the four is kind of the beginning of the explanation. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Why should one keep Sabbath according to the book of Exodus? Because God kept Sabbath in the creation. We have a God in, in God's being who balances work and rest. God didn't work all seven days. God worked six days and rested on the seventh to delight in and reflect on the very good work that happened in those six days. So in according to Exodus, we should keep Sabbath because we are made in the image of a God who keeps Sabbath. So what's at stake in violating the Sabbath then is not some arcane Jewish rule, but in fact is living out our call to be the image of God. That's the logic of Exodus. So again, you can see the stakes are high in this matter. Now, they're no less high in Deuteronomy. Here's the reason why you keep Sabbath in Deuteronomy's version of the Decalogue. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. According to Deuteronomy, you keep Sabbath as a way of remembering God's mighty acts of deliverance in your life. The Sabbath is a memorial day. It's a day of remembering. And you remember the Exodus story primarily because it's a paradigmatic story of how God delivered us out of the burden of work. It wasn't great to be in Egypt. The Pharaoh burdened them with work. And the Exodus is a story about how God brought the people out of that work and gave them rest. In fact, in the book of Joshua, entering the land of Israel is described consistently as, enter in, as entering into the Lord's rest. It's the conclusion of the liberation of Egypt, is to enter into God's rest. So in, again, in Deuteronomy, Sabbath keeping involves remembering and embodying the truth of our deliverance from oppression, be it Egypt, or maybe in a Christian theological sense, sin. That's why you Sabbath keep. So the two most important parts, arguably, of the Decalogue, or excuse me, of the Pentateuch, creation and exodus, are the very motivations for keeping Sabbath. You can tell how seriously these authors considered this commandment. Now my third point has to do with the trajectory of this commandment in the rest of Scripture. And I think there's two surprising things to note about how later biblical authors reflect on the Sabbath commandment. The first surprising thing is that the Sabbath commandment is explicitly referenced, talked about, interpreted, and applied more than any other commandment in the Decalogue, save the first one, have no other gods. This is the commandment that the prophets and the Psalms and the wisdom literature and the Gospels care about more than any other commandment other than worshiping God alone. That in and of itself should put some pressure on our Christian instinct to think this is something that, that, that Jewish folk do. This doesn't apply to us. The biblical witness and the importance it gives it should put some pressure on us in that sense. Second, consistently in both the Old Testament and the New, the ongoing relevance of the Sabbath commandment is never questioned. And instead, what happens all throughout Scripture is that the scope of the Sabbath commandment is expanded 
and extended such that it becomes a more central element in the life of God's people. So far from limiting or doing away with the Sabbath in Scripture, other biblical authors say, yes, and let's double down because this is really important and let me show you how. I'll give you some examples of how um, the Sabbath becomes uh, expanded and extended. It's extended in time. Uh, in Leviticus 25, the one in seven principle, one day out of seven for rest, becomes a one year out of seven year principle of rest. In fact, Leviticus 25 takes it one step further and talks about um, one year of rest within a cycle of seven weeks of years. That is, you have seven weeks of years or 49 years, and the 50th year is a mega year of rest. What's that called, by the way? The Jubilee. So it's extended in time. It's not just a weekly principle, but it's a principle that's going to organize, really, one's almost whole life, if you think of life expectancy. The Sabbath becomes a container for all time. It's also extended to others. Um, it's not just about what you do to rest on the Sabbath. The primary emphasis in the prophets is you giving rest to other people, particularly people who had to become your bond servants because they owed a debt to you but didn't have the money to pay it. So they say, okay, I have to, I have to work for Thelma for the, for the next whoever long to kind of pay off my debt to her. Well, what, the, what happens in the prophets, and even in other parts of the Pentateuch, is that uh, the Sabbath becomes the rationale for why the Israelites should forgive debt and release their slaves every seven years so it's that they can enjoy rest. Ironically, it would actually create more work for you to release your servants, right? And to, and to forgive your debts. But the point of the Sabbath commandment in later biblical literature is really one of social justice. It's about releasing other people's burden. And in fact, I can't resist saying this. You know in our Lord's Prayer that we pray every Sunday, um, forgive us our trespasses? The Greek from Matthew is not trespasses or sin. The Greek from Matthew is debts. And what's thought, and I fully agree with this, is that the Lord's Prayer was originally a Sabbath prayer. It was something someone said on the seventh year when they actually literally forgave the debts of others. This was a Sabbath year prayer. And you prayed, Lord, uh, forgive us our debts as, or, uh, as we forgive those who trespass or have debts against us. They're thinking about Sabbath in that prayer that we say together every Sunday. The Sabbath is also extended to the land, right? So it's not just about us and people, but one in seven years, you're to extend a Sabbath to the land. In other words, to let it lie fallow. And this wasn't just good agricultural practice. This also was a system of social welfare, although that's a bit of an anachronistic term. Uh, Exodus 23, 10 through 11. For six years you shall sow your land and gather its yield, but the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, so that the poor of your people may eat it. Note that the point isn't uh, don't plant anything or, or, or don't, uh, your, your field is just going to be empty. The assumption here is that your field is going to produce wheat or fruit or olives or, or whatnot. The point is that you don't get to harvest it. You let it there for other people, for the poor, to use and access. It's an issue, again, of a, there's a social awareness in the Sabbath. Uh, the Sabbath is extended to the covenant. In Exodus 31, 16 to 17, 
uh, it says this, Therefore the Israelites shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations, as a perpetual covenant. Sabbath keeping becomes the major sign of being in covenant with God. Not keeping other laws, not worshiping at the temple, not having a nation. The primary way that you signal you were God's people was Sabbath keep. Why do you th any guesses on why do you think that one stood out so much? What is it about Sabbath keeping that makes it such an enduring sign of covenant faithfulness? You can do it anywhere. Can do it anywhere. So if you're in exile and you've lost your land and you've lost your temple and there aren't priests to perform your rituals, how do you show that you are committed to God? Sabbath keep. It's the most immobile form of covenant identity that Israel ever had. Now, time does not permit to go to say a lot about what the New Testament does with the Sabbath commandment, but, but suffice it to say that at no point in either the Gospels or in the Pauline epistles or in Revelation or in any other text does the New Testament ever question the relevance of the Sabbath. Not at any point. In fact, at certain points, it intensifies the Sabbath obligations. Christ is called the Lord of the Sabbath. In the book of Hebrews, the whole history of salvation is, is described as entering into the Lord's rest or into the Lord's Sabbath. So I would say by no means is the Sabbath commandment irrelevant to the church today, in part because the biblical witness speaks uniformly about its value and extends it and intensifies it in many regards. And yet... We don't do it. We don't do it. I think there's a lot to learn from this, and I would say two things, and, and I'll uh, get you out of here on this. Um, one, the Sabbath commandment creates what uh, Jewish theologian Abraham Heschel calls a palace in time, or a sanctuary in time. It marks off time for doing the work of worship. Now again, I'm, I, I am literally, in some cases here, speaking to the choir although they're upstairs a little bit, but many of you are married to the choir. Um, I don't want to oversimplify it and say go to church, but seriously, the Sabbath commandment in its original context talks about doing the work of worship, and I think not only is an issue of attendance, um, but more than that, and way more important than that, is to think about how do we do the work of worship? How do we become part of a church in a way that, that isn't passive and isn't just sitting back but is actually involved in the work of church. Whether that means we come here four Sundays a month or two is an issue I'm less concerned about. I'm concerned about how we are as the body of Christ and what sort of work we do as people who worship. That's the first point. The second point that I think we have much to learn from from the Sabbath commandment um, has to do with its ability to relativize, relativize the importance of work in our lives particularly in 21st century America, and maybe particularly in Midtown Atlanta, we define ourselves by what we do, how much we accomplish, how quickly we do it, how effectively and efficiently we execute our jobs, our tasks, and sometimes, oddly enough, our volunteer work. Sometimes we even take our production-focused, performance-motivated mentalities even into retirement with us. Now, I'm all for efficiency and effectiveness, and I'm all for good, hard work, as any Protestant would be. And yet, 
I wonder about the cycle of anxiety, performance, production, and discontent that underlie the busyness of many of our lives, the incessant need to multitask of which I am as guilty as anyone else. What does that do to us as a people of Christ, that we have come so far to define ourselves by what we do, how much we do, and how quickly we get it done? The Sabbath, friends, breaks that cycle. It puts a bracket on work in our lives. It doesn't say work's unimportant. Remember, work six days. <laughs> That's still a lot of work. But it does put a bracket. It puts a frame around 